So we've all been in a situation similar to this. You were part of a group, maybe at your work, your church, your sports team, your friend group, and you grow accustomed to the the way that you do things. But then someone new shows up and they throw everything crazy. Like maybe you're a boss and you hired a new person and they walk in and they start trying to like teach you how to do your job. And you're just like, who is this man? Like what? Maybe it's uh, your friend group and you have like uh, certain ways that you communicate. Someone comes into your friend group, says something totally different. And you're like, who is this person? Like what? (laughs) And so for me, It was uh, college football. So I played college football for four years, way back in the day when I was in college about a week ago. And (laughs) thank you. Um, And so every single year, there were freshmen that came into the football program and they said some crazy things. Like they would walk in and be like, hey, I'm gonna start over you, senior who has had the job for two years. I'm gonna start over you and I'm gonna be a freshman All-American. And they were the scout team for the whole year. It's just like they walk in and say these things and it's like, who is this man? Maybe it's more positive. We'll stick with uh, football. So my high school football team from Muskegon County in Michigan, we were the laughing stock for like 50 years. There was actually a vote in when I was in middle school to shut down our high school football program. The vote didn't go through because the marching band still needed a place to play. And that was the only reason we still had a football program. But as my grade was uh, growing up, we were in eighth grade and we got invited to go to this high school junior varsity seven on seven tournament. It's basically football, but only passing, only seven people on the field. And we were beating some of these high school teams and it was uh, largely due to our quarterback. So our quarterback plays for the Buffalo Bills now, but in that time period, the community was asking, we saw this, the coaches were asking, they were like, who is this man? Is he the one that's coming to save the Mona Shores football program? Is he coming to conquer Muskegon County football? Like, who is this man? And so we've all had this question about somebody at some point in our life, who is this person? And I think the most important person to ever ask this about is Jesus of Nazareth. Whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, whether you hate Christians or you're so-so, maybe you're checking it out. It's not really a Christian thing. It's just a thing thing to ask the question, who is Jesus? Because he was a man. Uh, I'm going to read a quote from Bart Ehrman. He's an atheist agnostic. And so I know those two words mean something different. So he's an atheist, meaning he does not believe that there is a God. But number two, even if there is, he's not knowable. You can't know a higher power. And so this is what he says. He's, uh, he's a distinguished professor. He's depart- department chair at University of North Carolina. And this is what he says. I think the evidence is just so overwhelming that Jesus existed that it's silly to talk about him not existing. I don't know anyone who is a responsible historian who is actually trained in the historical method or anybody who is a biblical scholar who does this for a living, who gives any credence at all to any of this. I would probably say it nicer to you than him. He's kind of making us feel silly. He literally said it. But the point is, Jesus of Nazareth was a person, a human being who walked this planet. And so the question is not if Jesus was, the question is who Jesus was. 
every person has to come to this, to the conclusion of who they say that Jesus is. This could be helpful. If you, uh, maybe you've walked away from the Christian faith uh, because of like, you thought it was just like some guy in the sky. Like it's just some random guy got out there. Or maybe you believed in the God of coincidences. So like, oh, that was a big coincidence in my life that helped me out. God must be real. He must be for me. I'm not gonna limit how God can work. He can work in coincidences, but I think our faith is actually better than that. If you walked away from the Christian faith because you didn't think it was credible, if you think Christians are like, oh, they just believe in fairy tales, well, actually, Jesus existed. And our faith is not just in a random guy in the sky. Our faith is not actually just a set of beliefs. Our faith is not actually just a set of practices, not even a set of morality. Our faith is in a person. If you've walked away from the Christian faith, you've walked away from a person, the person Jesus of Nazareth. And so I want everyone in this room to think about who they say that Jesus is because he's a real person. And so luckily for us, we have one of the earliest manuscripts on this man's life. It comes to us as the gospel of Mark. And so John Mark was the person who wrote it. Um, It could be as early as 55 AD, as late as 70 or 74 AD. Um, But the fact of the matter is, it's within 20 to 40 years of the life of this man. And it was written by John Mark, but dictated by the apostle Peter. And so Peter was Jesus's like number one guy. When Jesus was uh, uh, leaving, he was like handing over the keys of the kingdom to Peter. And he was like, hey man, you got this. It's like, that's how close they were. So we have a manuscript from a person who spent a ton of time with Jesus and knew everything he did. He was with Jesus all the time. And so as we look in the gospel of Mark, don't look at it as just some old dusty book. No, it's like real events from a real person who witnessed Jesus live. And so that's what we're looking at. If you were here last week, that's great. If not, I'll fill you in. Dave, he talked about first century cooties. And so what he meant by that was that there were these people called Pharisees. They were the religious people and they made up more rituals, more regulations than there ever was supposed to be. And if you didn't follow their way, you, were, you had cooties, you were untouchable. And so that's what they would have said. These, so these people who don't abide by their stuff, they're the so-called untouchables. And so Jesus went at those dudes. He was not about the religious dudes. He was more about the down and outcast. And so last week we looked at Jesus with the Pharisees. And now this week we have a couple events from the life of Jesus where he was encountering the so-called untouchables of the society. So let's check it out. It comes from Mark chapter seven, verses 24 through 37. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. You see, at this point, Jesus had developed a following. He was doing things that people wanted to follow and be interested in and find out what it was. So they were following him and he wanted to take a break. He wanted to just get away, him and his disciples to just chill out. I mean, if you think about it, He just fed 5,000 people with very little food. Um, If you're a mom and you've ever had like all your kids' friends over, it's tough to feed them. And so Jesus was tired out from that. He had just walked on water. I've never done it, but 
I'm assuming it's a good calf workout, so he'd probably be pretty tired out from that. And then he just went toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of his day. He's tired. He's trying to get away. So he went way up north. So his home base was more in Galilee, and he went way up north to Tyre. And this would have been outside of the normal like Jewish home base. So he was bringing his Jewish disciples, and then he was with the Gentiles. And so if you don't know what the word Gentiles means, that's anyone that's not Jewish. Um, and so this is where he was, his Jewish disciples with in a Gentile region. And while he was trying to keep it a secret, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. Mark indicates who this person was. He doesn't just say a person, he says a woman. So he's signifying something. In this time period, they weren't respected as well as men. And so he's making this point like, hey, this is someone who's not always respected. Secondly, she came to Jesus based on what she had heard about him. She did not have every single question answered. She did not know exactly what Jesus' political views were on every single issue. She came. She didn't know if she could keep that side habit that she had. She didn't know if she could keep that. She just went to Jesus because she heard about him. She didn't know if, like, if, if, if Jesus just like made her come or if she chose to come. All these questions we have, she didn't have every answer. She came and she fell at his feet. And she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. She begged. She did not walk in and say like, hey, if you're real, do something cool for me. No, she came and begged. She said, hey, my daughter is not healthy. Can you please heal my daughter? She begged. And as we go on, it says, since she was a Gentile, Ding, 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 that's another indicator of who it was. Not only a woman, but a Gentile woman. Two levels of untouchable. To add to that, born in Syrian Phoenicia. Wow, Mark is hitting us over the head with who this person is. Three indicators of who it is. Not only a woman, but a Gentile. Not only a gentle, but a Syrophoenician. And so what you need to know about that people group is they were mentioned five times in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures that they would have followed. She was mentioned five times, that people group, as godless oppressors of God's people. So they would have seen this people group as their enemies. Remember, remember she's an enemy because it's going to come back later on in, in our sermon here. And so she was begging, and this is what Jesus told her. First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Who is this man? Like, are you serious? Like, this does not fit in our little nice boy persona of Jesus. He's saying something rather harsh. Gonna be honest, I really wanted to justify what he was saying. So in my study, I tried so hard to find a way that this wasn't offensive. I tried to see if the original spelling was D-A-W-G, like, what's up, my dog? <laughs> it didn't work. It actually turns out, I know you might not know this, but every single time period, it's actually not cool to call a woman a dog, okay? It's just not cool. Why was he saying this? Like, why could he have been saying that? 
She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Like, what? Jesus just insulted her, and she replies, like, so humbly. She's saying, like, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Please just let me rummage through your leftovers. Is that our typical response today? I know when I've gone through doubts, and so maybe this is just me, but maybe you've experienced this too. I've prayed prayers exactly like this. God, if you're really some guy up high in the sky, can you just like throw me down a pizza pie? Like I just like wanted to do something so I can just know he's real. Oh wait, one more request. Can it be Giordano's instead of Lumonati's because it's so much better. <laughs> so often our response is for God to just do something cool or show off his powers, whatever it is, just so we can know he's real. It's tough. And so, of course, with her humble reply, Jesus will give a jolly answer, right? So this is what he says. Good answer, he said, now go home. And so this is actually debated on like what the exact phrasing was. Some, some people would say it was more like, uh, yep, you gave an answer, run along, bye-bye, shoo-shoo, be gone. Like, it, it's really not that nice. Um, and so to recap, Jesus, who we thought was like the most people person ever, he's getting away by himself. That seems weird. Next, he calls a woman a dog? Who is this man? Third, she gives the most humble reply ever, and this is what he says. Why is that? What are we missing? Who is this man? I think it's important to remember the audience in the room. So imagine we're in this room together, which we literally are, so it's easy to imagine. And so pretend that uh, there's the disciples, okay? And if you've ever seen a movie where there was like a bully, and the bully was making fun of another person, and there would be that line of people behind him, like, yeah, get him. Like the, the bully said something like, you're weird. And then the person behind the bully was like, yeah, man, get him. I kind of imagine a little bit that maybe the Jewish disciples were getting this idea. And so maybe, like, because up to this point, Jesus had been really, really nice with, with women, with children, with people who were untouchable. And I'm assuming these Jewish disciples were like, finally, stick it to the enemy of ours. Stick it to them. I imagine the Gentiles, you come into our territory and talking like this? Who is this man? Who do you think you are? But the next line changes everything. For the demon has left your daughter. I imagine every jaw dropped. The Jewish men were like, remember all the things you just said? Like, what are you doing? And then the the Gentiles would have been like, they healed the daughter. He healed the daughter. They're probably celebrating. They're like, who is this man that can heal someone's daughter without even being there? The Jewish ones, the Jewish guys are like, who is this man healing this, this woman, this Gentile, this Syrophoenician? Jesus was doing this to make a very specific point. He was getting the Jewish disciples all on board, and at the last second, he was like, 
just kidding. I imagine it, he could have like, if we, if we reread this, he'd be like, uh, like sarcastic almost like, yeah, you, you know, like you can't give food to the dogs, right? Like, and like Jesus is making the point very specific to the disciples that the gospel is for the outsider. If you combine with lesson last week, there is no special food, there is no special ritual, and there's no special people. I imagine after the celebration, uh, the Gentiles might have left the room. And then you know how like sitting there in the silence, like all the disciples, Peter's probably like scratching his head. There's a little quiet. And then Jesus goes, you thought she was unclean. It's like, come on. He's making this point so clear that it's for the outsider. It's for the untouchable. Who is this man? Jesus is the servant of the so-called untouchable. When he healed this woman's daughter, he was not just healing her. He was identifying with her as someone who he, someone who he was on board with, the outsider, the untouchable. And so what this means for us, if your version of Christianity is preventing you from loving and caring for someone who you don't like, you have the wrong kind. If your version of Christianity, if the way you practice Christianity is preventing you or keeping you from loving and caring about someone of a different financial status than you, you have the wrong kind. If your version of Christianity keeps you and prevents you from loving and caring about someone in the LGBTQ community, you have the wrong kind. If your version of Christianity is preventing you from loving and serving a human being you have the wrong kind. God would say, I created that person and I love that person and you're going to too. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is the servant of the so-called untouchable. But back to the story. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns. So geographically, this is a little bit confusing. It's like he was in Palatine, had to go down to Des Plaines, but he like walked up to Buffalo Grove first. Like it wouldn't make total sense, but he had a purpose for it. So he was still going through mixed territories. Yeah, the Ten Towns, otherwise known as the, the Decapolis, would have had both Gentiles and Jews mixed territory. And so this is what happens. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. So a deaf man with a speech impediment. Other versions say deaf and could hardly talk. That would have been the the verbiage there. And so why did he bring the guy to be alone? Like if he's the supposed like savior, wouldn't he do this in front of people to be like, hey, look what I can do. I think maybe this, this man, when he was a boy, maybe he was made a spectacle out of, maybe people made fun of him. People were like, oh yeah, you can't come to school with us. You're deaf and can't talk. He knew who he was with. And so Jesus has revealed himself to the whole world, but I think he wants to reveal himself to you. 
I think he wants to reveal himself to you in a specific way that you can understand. And so the next stuff he says, he put his fingers into the man's ears, spit on his fingers and touched the man's tongue. It almost seems like hocus pocus rituals. Like I do this and do this and do this and voila, abracadabra. Did he need to do that? No, he, he just healed a woman's daughter without even being there. He could heal this man just by saying it. But he was speaking the language of the person who he was healing. The man couldn't hear, so if he just said it, that wouldn't make as much sense. So he spoke sign language to this man to be on his level. He took the guy aside. He said, hey, come over here, man. I'm gonna speak a language you can understand. We're gonna look up to our heavenly father together. And he was healed. Instantly, the man was healed. He could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. He heals the deaf and the mute. He serves the so-called untouchable. Who is this man? Is this just random events? When Mark and Peter were tag teaming this thing, they knew that people would be asking this question. Like, who is this man? And so they gave us a clue, an indicator as to who he is. And it's found in the phrase deaf and could hardly talk. So the phrase he used there was a very, very rare phrase. The only reason he could have been using it was to point us to something else. And so the only other place that this word phrase is used in the whole Bible is Isaiah 35. Isaiah was a prophet, and so he wrote this hundreds of years before the life of Jesus. You can know that through archaeology and carbon dating. I'm not personally an archaeologist, but people are. And so that's what they've said, is that this was written hundreds of years before the life of Jesus. And it points us to know that this is not just random events, but specific signs. And so Isaiah 35, 4 through 5 says this. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. And so, destroy your enemies. Other translations use divine retribution, which would mean like divine punishment, like coming to get some, like coming to like destroy the enemies. Can you think of anyone who's an enemy of the Jews? Syrophoenicians, how about them? But we just saw this story and Jesus didn't destroy her. He actually served her. But Jesus is the one, the God coming to save us. Like when when Mark wrote this, he's saying like, ding, ding, hey, this is not just a man. This is God in a bod come down from heaven to save you. But where's the divine punishment? Where is it? I think Mark, Isaiah, they knew this and they're making this very clear. Jesus didn't come to give divine punishment. Jesus came to take it. He came to take it on himself. Yes, he came with divine punishment on himself at the cross. Like Jesus healed this, man, this woman's daughter. He served the so-called untouchable. And this is almost a foreshadowing of when he's going to be the ultimate servant on the cross. On the cross, you remember the, the scraps under the table? 
Yeah, Jesus became the scraps under the table. He didn't have to. He chose to become the scraps under the table, die on the cross, so that way the so-called untouchable could become a daughter of God. Someone who didn't deserve it, someone who didn't earn it like you and like me. Jesus came to save us and take our punishment, that divine punishment. Um, this, This isn't a very nice thing to say, but we all deserve it. You deserve it. I deserve it. Like if someone could see every single thought I had, every single thing in my heart, I'd be an untouchable. And I'm guessing you would too. And we are the untouchables. Remember Jesus like, you thought she was untouchable. We're the untouchables. Like I am so sinful. I am deserving of the divine punishment. But as the bullet was coming for me, Jesus stepped in the way and he took it on himself. So I don't have to. And so you don't have to if you believe in him. But if he takes the divine punishment on himself, how's he going to crush the enemies? How is he going to destroy the enemies? Like if, if he's just taking it, they're just going to live. Like what about, what about my boss who doesn't have the same values as me and, and pushes that down in my throat? Like that's my enemy. Can you destroy him, please? Maybe you're the boss. Your subordinates seem to not care as much as you. And you're like, get rid of these, destroy my enemies. Maybe your neighbor won't move his fence six inches back his way and you're like, just destroy my enemy. Maybe they're doing something in the backyard all the time that you don't like. Destroy my enemy. Maybe you have someone in your life who's a Syrophoenician and you want them destroyed. Maybe it's people not living a biblical lifestyle and you're like, get rid of them. God, just destroy my enemies. Destroy those people who aren't like me. I think Isaiah knows this. Mark knows this. Peter knows this. And he, they want you to know it. Your enemies are not people. We have a way bigger enemy than, than people. We have a way bigger enemy than your boss, than your neighbor, than the, the Syrophoenicians in your life. Death is our enemy. Sin is our enemy. The evil one is our enemy. Jesus didn't come to destroy people. He came to destroy death. You see, the deaf man that he healed before sin in the world, there wasn't deaf, there wasn't mute, there wasn't people, different groups hating on each other. They were in perfect relationship, but sin entered the world and it went, it went awry. Like our enemy is not people, it's sin. The deafness and muteness and the fighting is all the results of sin. And so Jesus came to take that divine punishment. Hey, like, hey, the one that you owe, let me, let me have that. Jesus is like, hey, the one you owe, let me have that. Jesus is saying, hey, you're a sin, let me have that. And I'm gonna take it to the cross. And then I'm gonna take it to the grave. Luckily for us, the grave was not the end. After three days, he rose again and he left your sin there. He left your death there. He came to heal the deaf and the mute, but he really came to conquer something. In order for someone to be a king, you have to conquer something. Jesus came to conquer death. Jesus is the ultimate king over sin and death. And so if you're going through something like this, if your family is having someone going through death, it's not gonna take the sting away. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died, Jesus bitterly wept because death is terrible. It's from the evil one. 
but Jesus came to conquer it. And it's not gonna make it easy. It's not gonna make it like happy-go-lucky, but I hope it gives you hope. Death is our enemy and Jesus conquered it. And I want you to believe in him so you can conquer it too. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is sin and death and Jesus came to conquer it. He served the so-called untouchable. He defeated death. Who is this man? He's the ultimate servant king. Are you going to serve him? The, the, the servant king, he said, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And there are people in your life who are the least of these. These so-called untouchables that you, your perception of them is like, oh, will you serve those people? Jesus did. Imagine how different our area would look like if it was flooded with people who were serving the servant king. Imagine how different our church would look. Imagine how different our community and our neighborhoods would look if every single person was serving the servant king. Guys, there are people in your life who don't know Jesus, and I want them to. There's people in your life who are lonely and who need a friend. There are people in your life who are struggling financially and you have the means to help them. Will you serve the servant king? Maybe you've never placed yourself under the king. Maybe you haven't decided that Jesus is my savior. Maybe you've been checking it out. Maybe you've been looking for a guy in the sky. He's real. He's a real man who really lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death so you don't have to and he rose from the dead. He defeated the grave and he did it for you and for me. The servant king's passion was for me. And so I will serve the servant king because he is worthy. He is the servant king. I hope and pray that you serve the servant king, that you want to see change, that you want to see people loved and people cared for. I hope you join that. Serve the servant king for he is worthy. I'm gonna pray with us and then, uh, yeah, cool. Father, when I thought someone else was untouchable, when I was sinful, when I didn't love the people who you loved, you still loved me. I didn't deserve it and I can't earn it. You took my divine punishment and you did that for the people in this room because you love us. And Jesus, you conquered death. There's people in this room who have to face it right now and you conquered it for them because you love them. I pray that we can be a people that come around those going through this and while it's not going to make it any easier, we can at least have hope. In you, King Jesus, is where our hope is found. Thank you. In your name, Jesus, amen.